Welcome to the program. We've got a great lineup for you today with John Christ, the CEO of the Ventura County Farm Bureau. He's in the studio with Mary Marinville, the CEO of the nonprofit SEAG. And we'll also talk about Farm Day coming up on November 4th. So I'm excited for today's show. Here on Big Money in the 805, we always bring you one feature interview each week. Today, it's John Christ. We're also bringing you one nonprofit spotlight each week. And today, that's Mary Marinville. And finally, for the last segment of the show, we talk about some financial wisdom. Today, I'm going to talk with you about risk management and answer three financial questions from the mailbag. One thing that listeners have asked me about and they've shared with me is that they love the show, but sometimes they don't get it on Sundays because they're out of town or maybe they have to rush off to church. And I understand that may be a problem for many of you on Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Not everybody's up and at them. Here's the solution. Here's what I share with them, how they can get every show. It only takes one minute to get access to every show. You just go right to your phone, your smartphone. You go to your podcast app. If you don't know how to do that, you can ask for some help and someone can help you find a podcast app on your phone very quickly. But you search Big Money in the 805, click subscribe, and you'll get every show from there on. There's no charge for this. It comes free on your phone. You also get to see the show notes that we put up. And every episode goes right on that podcast app directly after the show airs. So you'll be able to find it there. So please take a moment, go to your phone, find your podcast app. Search Big Money in the 805 and subscribe to the show. And the final note to share with you before we get into this week's feature interview is there's a new program on KVTA. It comes on right after Big Money in the 805. This new show is called Inside the 805. We have two hosts that will discuss and debate hot topics and questions relating to Ventura County and Santa Barbara County. That's on from 8.30 to 9 a.m. Sundays on News Talk 1590 KVTA. And now it's time for today's feature interview. We have John Christ in the studio. He's the CEO of the Farm Bureau for Ventura County. John is a member of the Board of Directors for the County Economic Development Association. He's a part of the Dean's Council for Environmental Science at UC Santa Barbara. He's also on the steering committee for the Ventura County Agricultural Irrigated Lands Group. And he's part of the advisory board for the Center for Economic Research and Forecasting at California Lutheran University. John has worked at the Ventura County Star prior to the Farm Bureau for 24 years he was there. Also, he's been the author of numerous books, and most recently he wrote Living Legacy, the story of Ventura County agriculture. John, thanks for being on the program today. Thanks for having me, Mike. So let's start off with this. Can you describe the size and scope of the economy with farming here in Ventura County, and what are some of the biggest crops that we have from an economic perspective? Right. So agriculture in Ventura County is a $2.2 billion a year industry. That's the gross value of crop production. Top crops, uh, you know, strawberries been number one for quite a long time in, in terms of total value. Other top crops are lemons. We are the number one lemon producing county in the United States. Avocados, raspberries, uh, hugely, hugely important crop, even though the acreage isn't, uh, isn't very, very large. You know, what we do here in Ventura County is we produce Fruits and vegetables for the fresh market, very high-value stuff. We've got a lot of peppers, a lot of tomatoes, that sort of thing. And over the years, they've been farming for years and years here in Ventura County. Uh, how have we seen that change? And I just say over the past, say, 100 years, how have we seen farming change here in this landscape we have that we now call Ventura County? 
Well, there've been just a. It's been a constant series of evolutions. You know, basically, uh, farming did start in Ventura County shortly after the end of the Civil War, the 1860s, 1870s. Um, a lot of settlers came out from uh, from the East Coast, settled out here to farm. Early days, it was all grain. You know, uh, wheat and barley and things like that. But eventually, that was no longer profitable, and growers shifted to a different crop. And over time, there have been a lot of those crops. You know, sugar beets was an important crop for a long time. Lima beans, this was once the primary lima producing. You know, we were the lima bean capital of the world for a while. The, the heyday, the peak of that production back in uh, 1920, there were 118,000 acres of lima beans in Ventura County. That's more than we have planted to everything today. That evolution continued, and often it was a, it was a you know, classic example of production outstripping demand and prices falling and our growers deciding to look for something else so they could they could make a living and you started seeing citrus and avocados come to their you know into their prominence you know citrus in the 1940s and on into the 50s lemons has been a a, a top producer for us for a very very long time all the way back to 1947 it became the number one uh, crop in terms of value Today, the, the pace has, uh, you know, really gotten, gotten rapid. Uh, there's a lot of change, a lot of uh, complexity to the, the crop mix out there. We still have a lot of citrus and avocados. Between the two of those things, it's nearly half the uh, irrigated acreage in the county. But then just a, an amazing diversity of other crops, berries, vegetables. And, you know, one of the great things about Ventura County is, is the climate. We can grow pro- products here year-round. Every day, somebody's picking and planting and, and taking care of stuff. So... You have these really, really rapid rotations of crops. It's a, it's a very dynamic environment out there. One thing I want to ask you about on that same topic is I know over the past few years even, we see these hoops now, these white hoops. And I know that we didn't used to see those, but now we're seeing more and more of them. At least we see a lot of them. And that's a big crop now and a big economic value as far as crops go. Can you share with us what that is and how that came about? Sure. When you see those, we call them hoop houses. Uh, some people call them tunnels. Um, but yeah, it's metal frames with, with translucent plastic stretched over it. Those are primarily raspberries under there. So raspberries, if you go back, you look at the annual crop report that the County Agricultural Commissioner's Office puts out every year. As recently as 2001, it didn't even list raspberries in it. We produced none or so few that they didn't even warrant um, being mentioned. And now it's the number three crop in terms of total value. Largely, it's under those hoops. You know, the, the hoops protect them from wind. They're very fragile. Raspberries are a fragile crop. So they need protection from direct sun, from wind, and the warmth that the that, that provides gives early start to the growth. There are some other cane crops under there, and some strawberries. There are some strawberry varieties that are also really delicate, and you don't want rain on them. But primarily, it's raspberries. It's a great it's a great story from nothing to you know one of our most valuable crops. Yeah, in, in fifteen years ago was nothing, and now it's number three. I mean, that shows the diversity and the ingenuity of finding how to farm something and make it profitable and. The other thing that I think is very interesting is when we see those row crops and you see them turn over, how many times are they turning over per year a different crop? Well, it depends on the operation and, and the selection of crops. Some are very, very short duration, but it's not uncommon to see three, four, sometimes even five rotations in the course of a year on a same piece of ground. That really seems amazing. I mean, they, they work hard. I, I tip my hat to them to know how to do that, and it really is amazing. Well, let's talk about farming with water needs. Where do the farmers get the water? And it's such a hot topic nowadays is front page news. Talk to us about water and farming. Sure. So in Ventura County, uh, you know, the growers are relatively fortunate in that they more or less have control of their own destiny when it comes to water. Primary water source for uh, agriculture in Ventura County is local groundwater. 
It's more than 85% of the supply for our farmers. Most of the rest comes from uh, some from surface storage, such as in the West County, Lake Casitas. Little tiny bit is uh, state water and some recycled water, but groundwater is the game um, here. So there are some significant challenges facing us on the, on the groundwater management side. Let's talk about that for a second. How do farmers feel about the new groundwater management rules that are being formed and kind of being talked about? Seems like they're really coming along now and starting to play ball. Everybody's starting to talk and it's getting some traction, but maybe you can share with us what you're seeing. Yeah, I, I would agree. So the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, which uh, went into effect at the beginning of 2015, requires basically all of the basins that we rely on in Ventura County, as well as many, many others throughout the state, to, to um, develop sustainability plans for how they're going to manage the water in that basin so that over the long term, the supply is stable. You don't have um, seawater intrusion. You don't have constantly declining groundwater levels and that sort of thing. Ventura County has always been ahead of the rest of the state when it comes to this. We've, had, uh, we've been managing the groundwater, particularly under the Oxnard Plains, since the early 80s. Um, not always particularly well, but we've at least had the structures in place and the buy-in from the growers that it is necessary to properly manage this resource without which they'd all go out of business. So, you know, they get that and they're willing to participate. Um, we've gotten the groundwater sustainability agencies for all of our basins are up and running. Many of them are well ahead on developing these plans that they're required to submit to the state. And where it gets tricky is coming up with the rules, you know, is developing the structure and all that is one thing. But when it comes time to actually divide the pie, and that's where things get tricky because in some of our basins, it's clear that we're taking more out than we really should be on an ongoing basis. And that gives you a choice. You can either augment the supply so that uh, people don't get cut back too much, or you have, to, you have to start restricting pumping. That's where we get into you know, consequences we don't really particularly want to see, such as fewer of those crop rotations, which means less, less revenue for the grower, or sometimes even just taking land out of production altogether. All when you talk about augmenting the supply, are there ways we can put a little more water into the groundwater basins? I mean, is that like this tunnel they talk about with state water project? Is that what the goal is? Is that even maybe a possibility or a reality? I mean, what are your thoughts? State project water does come into Ventura County, but it's primarily urban supplies. So three quarters of the county's households get some or all of their water from the state project through importation into our area by Cayagas Municipal Water District. Really, when we talk about augmentation here on a local basis, we're talking things like recycled water. Um, you know, the Oxnard, uh, city of Oxnard has built a, what they call the Advanced Water Purification Facility that has the capacity to re reuse the, the treat and reuse wastewater from the, the sewage treatment plant. That's one option. The city of Ventura is looking at similarly recycling the effluent from its, its, uh, its wastewater treatment plant. But we also have a lot of opportunities to tap shallow groundwater that's too salty to use right now. And these brackish water desalters, there are a bunch of projects on the drawing boards to tap that, treat it to a standard where it can be used for irrigation and make the supply bigger. Um, so even if you lose some of the groundwater you're pumping now, you'll be able to tap into these other sources. You mentioned with like having to restrict some of the farming use for that water as being the other thing to, to kind of maybe they're not allowed to pull as much out. Um, if that kind of continues, and in some ways we've already noticed some farmland where they've let it go fallow. They just said, it's not profitable. I'm not doing it. Farmers aren't farming. Is that something that we might see more of? Or talk to us about farmers following land. Yeah, that's a really, a really difficult issue. So, you know, a lot of the berry and vegetable production in the county is, uh, takes place on land that the grower leases from a, a landowner. 
And those lease payments are, are really high. We have some of the most expensive farmland probably anywhere in the, in the United States. And when you're paying, you know, 4000 bucks an acre per year for that ground, you don't want it sitting fallow because you still got to pay for it, whether you've got the money, the revenue to cover that rent or not. I think what we're going to, we'll, we'll see a couple of things. Um, when, when the full, you know, magnitude of the reductions that we may be facing becomes known, you might have somebody say, look, I've got enough water. You know, I got 100 acres. I got enough water to grow on 75 of it. That other 25, I, I'm just going to sit there. And that's not a decision that's going to pencil out for a lot of people. And what you might more typically see is, I want to do four rotations a year on that, on that ground. I've only got the water for two. So I'm just going to stretch out the amount of time between those rotations, which again, you know, compromises the viability, the economic viability of that operation. The kind of widespread following that you, you, you might expect in a, an area without alternatives, um, hoping we don't see that, but a lot's going to depend on the ingenuity of the, of the growers to find a crop that can generate the returns that they need to cover their, their expenses. Well, now that we're getting warmed up, let's jump into the fun topic here. Talk to us about the regulatory issues or political issues that we see impacting farming. <laughs> Growers confront a really staggering number of different kinds of regulations. I mean, every, every move they make is regulated in some fashion. Uh, you know, there's food safety regulations that govern, you know, how they handle their product, how they um, defend their field from, from incursion by, you know, animals. Good luck keeping a coyote out of your avocado orchard up in the hills, right? But, uh, but, you know, that's something they need to try to do. Um, you've got water quality regulations. So one of the things that, you know, you mentioned when, when you're introducing me that I'm, I'm on the board of the Ventura County Agricultural Irrigated Lands Group, that's a, that's a regulatory compliance group that Farm Bureau manages for the, for the growers. And they join, and we conduct this really elaborate program of water quality management and reporting to the Regional Water Quality Control Board in Los Angeles. This is the way they comply with state and federal water quality regulations. And it's a, you know, a $1.5 million a year program. That's just what, it, what they're paying us to run this thing. That's the cost of the monitoring and the, the voluminous reporting we have to do. So the compliance part, we make it easy for them, but it's expensive. You know, it's not free. You've got incredible restrictions on pesticide applications as well. And those get nothing but stricter as time goes on. You know, you lose access to materials that used to work very well for you, find new restrictions on where and when you can use these. And in our fragmented landscape, that's a real big issue for us where we've got farms and city folks side by side. And maybe we can jump into a little bit about that. And maybe we can talk about the bugs. Like, for example, the pesticides and herbicides, they're all for the bugs, right? And bugs are there. I mean, we have crops, you know, and the bugs come because they're there. But those are also in residential neighborhoods. Talk to us about what the farmers do and how they can deal with those bugs. Yeah, there's... We like to eat that stuff, so do bugs. Every sector of the industry has got its own suite of pests and diseases that it, that it is confronting. And there are a lot of different ways of, of addressing these. Ventura County was a pioneer in the field of integrated pest management uh, for more than a century, where you, you bring in good bugs to kill the bad bugs uh, whenever possible, so you're not using chemicals. But even in that system, at times, the beneficials can't keep up with, with the pest pressure, and you have to resort to chemical means to suppress that population. The biggest thing we're facing right now, I think, in, in the pest world is the Asian citrus psyllid, which uh, invaded the county back in the late 2010 and has since spread to every corner. It feeds exclusively on citrus, and it has the capacity to transmit a bacterial disease that is untreatable, incurable, and always fatal to all varieties of citrus. And the disease we know is spreading throughout Southern California 
it's utterly devastated the, the Florida citrus industry. Their production's down something like 80% uh, mm. over the last decade, thanks to the bug and the disease. And the only way to deal with that bug is to spray it with, you know, chemical pesticides, try mm -hmm. to suppress the population so that there's fewer chances of the bug finding that disease and moving it from tree to tree. It's a matter of survival, not just, a, ooh, we make a little bit more money if we do this. It's, it's surely about survival. Let's jump into something else now. I keep reading in the newspaper about how labor is also an issue for farmers to get employees to come, you know, at harvest time and to work on the farm. Why is it getting more difficult for them to find employees? What's the problem and what's the solution? The problem is kind of simple to state. We have a, a labor shortage. We probably have 25% fewer workers um, available to us than the industry optimally needs. Causes of that, the reasons for that are, are fairly complicated. The basic issue is we have an aging agricultural workforce and, you know, they're retiring. And we've always counted on a steady supply of replacement labor, typically coming from south of the border to make up for that. Well, that flow is shut off. In fact, it's reversed. Um, if you look at uh, Mexico and California, we have negative net migration to Mexico now. And that's a result of a number of factors. Part of it's tougher border enforcement that began under the previous presidential administration and, and certainly continues today. You have a drug violence problem along the border that makes it very dangerous and costly for people who want to cross and come up here. But you also have factors in Mexico itself that are, that are changing that. You have a booming Mexican agricultural economy. There's a lot of agricultural jobs down there. And that's after many years of it being, uh, you know, really battered by economic forces. You have changing demographics in Mexico, you know, lower overall birth rates, smaller population growth, less pressure within Mexico for people to leave to seek work. So you take all these things together and the result is we don't have enough people to get the, the harvest in, in a timely fashion. We do really, really labor intensive agriculture here. Everything out there is picked by hand. We're getting short on time, but let me ask you one more question here. What are some of the ways that the county or maybe the community could support farming and the farming economy in Ventura? What comes to mind? We love it if people buy local products, but the fact of the matter is we produce ridiculous quantities of, of what we do here. We need everybody in the world to eat our products because we, we can bury everybody here with our our production. That's good. But we also want to, want to see the public support things that reinforce the viability of agriculture. If we're trying to get a farm worker housing project or just a low-income housing project that has farm worker components in it built in your neighborhood, for goodness sake, don't oppose it. Go out and support it. We need those folks to live in this community so they're available to work, work in, our, in our operations. So that's one thing. Be cognizant of what it means to live next to a farm. You know, it should be a privilege to, to have this wonderful landscape that we see. That farming is, you know, sometimes dusty, noisy, smelly, Rather than calling in complaints to your local, your county supervisor about that, realize that that's just the inevitable price you pay for living in, in this wonderful, wonderful place. You know, be supportive. Don't cause problems unnecessarily. Things like that. Our guest today is John Christ, the CEO of the Ventura County Farm Bureau. You can get more information online about the Farm Bureau. Go to their website, farmbureauvc.com. Thanks for being on the program, John. Thanks for having me. Now it's time for the Nonprofit Spotlight with your host, Michael Anderson, on Big Money in the 805. Nonprofit Spotlight. Here is a local group we want you to know about, Nonprofit Spotlight. Today's Spotlight is brought to you by Era Energy, powered by safety, innovation, and community. We help keep California moving forward. Our guest today is Mary Marinville, founder and CEO of SEAG and VC Farm Day. 
It's a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us, Mary. Thank you for having me. Now, Mary, you grew up on a farm and you moved out here to this area. You're not from Ventura County, but when you moved out here, you saw that it was a farming area and you started SEAG. Tell us about that. Yes, I uh, moved out here 18 years ago. I founded SEAG in 2008 after I saw a local field trip to a farm and just thought that I could make a difference with kids, and that was about 20,000 kids ago. Wow. <laughs> wow. What do you guys do? So how do you make a difference with kids and farming? Tell us about how it works. We teach children about the importance of local agriculture. We go into the classroom and we give them a presentation, and then we also bring them out to a local farm, and now we are working with Chris Sayre. He has a multi-generational family farm called Petty Ranch, and that's located in Satakoy. So we have a farm lab at his ranch where we teach the kids about soil, beneficial insects, plant biology, and the journey of their food from soil all the way to their table. Boy, that's wonderful. So that's SEAG at SEAG.org. And I know you also have Farm Day, Ventura County Farm Day. That's coming up on November 4th from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. This is a one-day pass to get out on the farm and see what's happening. Tell us about Farm Day. Give us some of the details. Well, Farm Day, when I was doing all the field trips out at a local farm and several parents would join their kids as chaperones. And I realized pretty quickly that not only did local school children not know about agriculture, adults did not know about agriculture. So between hearing John Chris talk about the importance of educating the general public about about local farming and growing and agriculture and realizing that adults didn't know about it. That was the inspiration behind Farm Day. And now I'm very proud. We have 25 farms on the tour this year. Uh, We have orchard, row crop, conventional, organic, livestock. And we also have some agricultural support organizations like AGQ Lab and Agriman. And so people can go to VenturaCountyFarmDay.org and they can sign up. It's a free event for them to go. Do they get to choose which type of farm they're going to be on? Or Yes, they get to choose. And it's actually VenturaCountyFarmDay.com. And they, the list of farms is on the website. It's a very user-friendly website. You can look at the list, and it's all arranged by geographic area. So if you're in Camarillo and you want to go to a farm, you can um, look at that list. If you want to go to Moore Park, Satakoy, Ojai, Ventura, Oxnard. So it's all throughout the whole county, and you can pick and plan your day. It starts Friday night, actually, in Santa Paula with a film fest for the whole family we'll, where we will be showing documentary films that were made by a local farmer and filmmaker, John Chester. Then we'll be showing a family film. And then on Saturday morning, Whole Foods is donating coffee and pastries to the first 350 people that show up. So you can come and get free breakfast and get your farm day map. And then, of course, you already mentioned that the tours are from 10 to 3. And then it ends with a barbecue at Faulkner Farm, also known as Hanson Agricultural and Research and Extension Center, and that's from 5 to 9 on Saturday evening. Boy, that's going to be great. I think it's going to be a wonderful event, and I know that's growing, so good job with all of that. What are some of the goals you'd like to see happen in Ventura County with SEAG and with Farm Day? Maybe you can talk about that and how the community might be able to help support what you're doing with this nonprofit. 
Thank you for asking. When I first started SEAG back in 2008, I thought if I could see 500 kids a year, I would be happy. Well, now we're up to about 4,000 kids a year. And taking all those kids to farms, it's so important. Our next generation doesn't even know what the word agriculture means. When we ask third graders what that word means and about farming, they know little to nothing about it. So the program, the schools, and the teachers, the administrators are seeing the importance of it. And that's why the program grows every year. And we provide it 100% cost-free. If you can imagine 4,000 kids, it's expensive because we also pay for all of the school buses, but I want to see more and more kids. As you know, there's 10,000 third graders in Ventura County. I want to see all of them. Donations are always appreciated. You can learn more about SEAG and about Ventura County Farm Day online. You can go to SEAG.org and VenturaCountyFarmDay.com. Get ready to take some notes. It's time for the two-minute drill with Michael Anderson on Big Money in the 805. Two-Minute Drill. Grab a piece of paper and a pencil. It's time for today's Two-Minute Drill. Brought to you by Spanish Hills Country Club. Taste the elegance. Golf, athletic, and social memberships. Visit SpanishHillsCC.com or call Cindy, 805-388-5000. As a certified financial planner, I like to start each new client meeting by discussing the six key areas of concern. And today... I'm talking all about risk management. When we talk about risk management, we're mostly talking about insurance. And here's what you need to know about insurance. There are seven items I want you to look at. First one, is my family okay financially if I were to pass away tomorrow? Often we can use life insurance to provide income for our dependents if we pass away ahead of schedule. Number two, Is my family okay financially if I were to become disabled tomorrow? Often we think about disability insurance to protect your earning power. And some people, they'll just choose to self-insure on that. Number three, is my family okay and covered with regards to our health concerns? That we often look at having proper health care plans in place. Number four, do we have any estate tax issues which can uh, be looked at with planned giving or tax reduction strategies? Now, this is often for folks that have a considerable amount of wealth. So that's not for everybody, but it is something to think about. Number five, do we have auto, home, and personal liability protection? Moving on to number six, do we have long-term care coverage in place? And this is a new buzzword with risk management, but it's something we're seeing more and more people talk about and ask about. And number seven, if you own a business, do you have a buy-sell agreement? or business continuation plans in place. Now, there are many different types of insurance, and you can benefit by speaking with a fee-only financial advisor about this. The good thing about fee-only financial advisors is that they do not sell any of these insurance products. They can help you determine which coverage and which ones might be best for you to get. The important thing is that insurance products, they do pay a commission. So fee-only financial advisors do not sell them, but they can help you find the right amount that you might need. You'll just have to buy it somewhere else. It's good to know that you don't have a conflict of interest when you're talking with them because they're not going to be trying to sell you any of these products, just finding best fit. So to be a prudent person, we all need to look at risk management needs and the things that might affect or impact our household finances. In many cases, it's a great solution to provide safety and protection from things that could hurt you financially by using insurance. It's all about the probability of the possibility. And insurance is a way to hedge against those risks. If you want some help with getting your risk management in order, you can find a fee-only financial advisor near you. Go to napfa.org or you can contact me directly. I'd be happy to work with you. Go to my website, 
Maranatha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or leave me a message at 805-665-3767. You're tuned in to Big Money in the 805 with Michael Anderson. Now it's time for Michael to go to the mailbag and answer some questions from listeners. Mailbag, we answer your questions about money, investing, and financial issues. Brought to you by AllocationLink.com. Investment management that is low cost, smart, and accessible by all. Learn more at AllocationLink.com. First, we have Maria from Ojai. Maria asks, I've heard about socially responsible investing. How can I invest in responsible ways with regards to the environment? Well, Maria, thank you for that question. It is something we hear more and more about, socially responsible investing. I only want to invest in companies that are responsibly doing business with regards to the environment and not polluting or not uh, causing problems. And so there are screens that we have that we're able to screen out companies that have a low score, a low social score relative to the environmental concerns. The same thing when it goes to governance. If the company is not uh, doing well with regards to uh, various political issues or governance, we, we may be able to screen them out and not invest in them. And then finally, the other one with regards to issues uh, that there might be with the, the different types of companies, maybe uh, if it's a defense company or gun companies, maybe if you have issues with those, we can screen those out as well. So there are ways to socially responsibly invest. We'd be happy to talk with you about that, Maria. Next, we have Todd from East Ventura. I want to set up an investing account for my son. How do you recommend that I do this? Okay, Todd, here you go. I think investing with your children or having your children start early is a great idea. And there's a website uh, that you can check out. It's called stockpile.com, and they allow for investing. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. You can get more information about them, but they're, they allow you to invest small amounts of money into uh, these stocks of big companies, and then they can follow them and track them and see reporting, but it's called fractional shares. So you're not buying a full share. You may just be uh, buying a fraction of that company, but it will allow you to see that, and the percentage returns will be the same as if you would have bought the full shares. So very cool idea to check that out. There are ways to do that. And if you have a question for the mailbag, submit it online at maranatha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com. Hi, this is Michael Anderson, Certified Financial Planner. I've dedicated the past 12 years to researching different investment ideas. There are no guarantees when investing, but with a little help, you can find the right approach. I have built AllocationLink.com specifically for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management made simple, smart, and low cost. AllocationLink.com can have your account set up in less than 10 minutes. You don't need to have a million dollars. You don't need to have $100,000. You can get started with as little as $250 today. The secret to investing is regular contributions and giving it time to grow. Please check out my website online. I think it will be a great resource for you. AllocationLink.com is investment management that is smart, low cost, and automatic. Please visit AllocationLink.com to learn more. Or you can leave me a message at 805 665 Well, that does it for our show today. Be sure to stick around and listen to the new program, Inside the 805, coming right up. 
Uh, thanks for tuning in today. Check us out on iTunes, Big Money in the 805. All previous shows are also on my website, marinantha.com. Special thanks to all the farmers here in Ventura County. Keep up the good work. And if you haven't been to the VC Ag Museum in Santa Paula, you got to check it out. Also, Farm Day, November 4th. If you have any questions about the show or questions with your financial matters, you can always contact me online at marinantha.com, M-A-R-A-N-A-N-T-H-A.com, or leave me a message on my answering service, 805-665-3767.